Welcome to The Life of a Priest, an audio series where we learn about the brave Catholic men who have their eyes set on heaven. I am your host, Juan Acosta, the founder of Tabella. Tabella is the social app for Catholics. Today we chat with Father Adam Marchese, a priest from the Diocese of Orlando. He currently serves at St. Margaret Mary in Winter Park, Florida, and he's also an army chaplain for the Archdiocese for the Military. He's currently doing reserve work, but after three years, he will go into active duty ministry with the Army. To begin today's interview, let's pray the Our Father, followed by a prayer from Father Adam Marchese. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of the gift of our call, Lord Jesus Christ, that you have called us all to live a life of holiness. And in a particular way, you have called men and women to the religious state. Lord, continue to call men to the priesthood that we may continue to sanctify, govern, and teach your people, leading us all closer to you, Lord, that we might have a deeper encounter with you. And we ask all this in your most holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Interestingly, Father Adam was ordained just last year, six months ago from the time of this interview. We ask him about the past few months and his childhood. It's it's really been, since ordination, just part of me feels like this is still all new. Part of me feels as if I've been doing this my entire life, and it just feels natural, just a part of who I am, because this is who the Lord has called me to be. In Romans we hear that those he uh, predestines, he calls, those he calls, he justifies, and those he justifies, he glorifies. That the Lord has called us all to this beautiful vocation, first to holiness, but then in a particular way, whether it be to priesthood or to married life. Uh, but kind of growing up, priesthood was never on my mind. Um, I know some priests who knew they wanted to be priests from the time they were like five. I did not feel a call until much later in life. I say much later. Then again, I've had I have classmates who were in their 50s when they were ordained. So not that late in life, but still later than some others. I'm Irish and Italian, so very much, uh, I would say, very Catholic upbringing in terms of that's what we did. Because culturally, and both the Irish and Italian side, we're Catholic. I will say it was very nominally Catholic. So I was baptized as a baby, you know, came up in the sacraments. My dad always jokes that... Uh, he would have to bribe me to get to mass, you know, when I was a kid. And he would say, like, all right, well, we'll grab McDonald's for breakfast if, if you come and we go to mass. But, you know, I was a small child, so mass wasn't interesting to me. And I remember when I was being interviewed leading into ordination and the communications department from the diocese was like, so tell us about how you were an altar server and tell us about how you went to Catholic school and tell us about how you did all these Catholic things. And I said, I was never an altar server. I didn't go to Catholic school. I went to public school uh, until seminary. Seminary was my first Catholic school. I wasn't involved in high school youth group. I never did live teen or anything like that. I wish I could say that that was my upbringing. I wish I could say that that was a, a huge aspect of my life. If I'm being honest, it wasn't. That's not to say that I did, was not raised in uh, a loving household or anything like that. Definitely um, a lower middle class family, you know, two income family. Parents had enough to provide for us, uh, but definitely not anything extravagant by any means, the word. But 
if there's anything I remember from childhood and th- those fond memories that I have are those times of coming together as a family. Uh, that was always something that was a, a very big priority for us and not just around the holidays. I mean, my parents' house was always the central point where the family would gather together for holidays, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, things like that, but just birthdays and other stuff as well. And we'd have 20, 30 people over at the house. Um, So those were always special moments. Definitely influenced my understanding of the faith and how I approach the faith in my parish. As a parish priest, I'm called, um, as a secular priest, to be there among the people with the families And so I have a deep love and respect for the family, and I desire my parish to be the place where the family is nourished, where their family can come together centered on the faith. It's so important uh, when we try to isolate and say, no, this is faith. That's your family. Uh, It's a dichotomy that shouldn't exist. And Father Adam is definitely nourishing that faith within families. As part of his work as a priest, he began developing a program for married couples at his parish. An issue that's arising in the culture is a diminished view of what is marriage. What does it actually mean to love? Um, Or is love just a feeling that you're giving me right now? And as soon as I don't feel that feeling from you anymore, I can just discard you like any other object. You're no longer meeting my needs. Therefore, I can cast you aside. And so uh, really trying to I've been developing a program where I meet with couples um, Giving them so basically, I would summarize and write an article that uh, a little more easy to digest, but at the same time, very much in line with his theology of the body, uh, Saint John Paul II, and um, then meeting with the couple and having those conversations with them. So far, it's been uh, beautiful to start, and I have a few couples I've been working with. Who God bless them. I've been. I don't have these articles written yet. I'm I'm about done with the first one. But I've, I have a few couples who are very faithful couples. I'm like, I'm going to give you a series of quotes from St. John Paul II directly. I need to hear your comments. But that's actually helped me to write these this article because it tells me what is most important for them, like what most impacted them. And then I can really hone in and draw more out of those quotes rather than just explain his theology of the body because I can. <laughs> Father Adam Marchese's deeper exploration of the faith began during his high school days. In fact, he says he has Protestants to thank for what he calls his reversion back to the faith. My senior year, um, I started dating this girl who was Puerto Rican, and she went to this Pentecostal church. To this day, I'm not sure whether they were speaking in Spanish at her church or in tongues. I have no idea. At that time, I didn't speak Spanish. Now I'm conversational in Spanish, so I still have no idea what they were saying. But, you know, when your girlfriend asks you to go to church with her, it's like, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, um, I wasn't making a priority for myself, but if she wants me to, why not? And uh, but her faith actually influenced me and it made me start going, saying, well, I still consider myself Catholic. But what does that mean? And so I started uh, going back to mass. It was still uh, more of just, I would say, curiosity. Like I say I'm Catholic. Catholics go to mass. So what does that mean? And then um, I was working at a country club in high school. And when I graduated from high school, there was a group of um, college students that were part of this young adult group from a non-denom church. And they invited me to go. And it was actually that experience, which to 
I think they were kind of upset about, drove me back to the Catholic Church. They would meet, and really a beautiful time. So they, there's free food. That gets all young adults together, right? Free food. Then they'd have uh, some time for praise and worship and then uh, scripture study. So very basic. But the last time I went, before I moved to culinary school down in South Florida, was uh, they said, tonight we're doing something different. And I was like, okay. And they said, tonight we're doing communion. And they walked around and passed oyster crackers and grape juice. And I looked at that and I, I always say it, when someone offered me imitation, that's when I actually, for the first time, desired the real thing. And the amazing thing is that at that moment, I still did not have a full understanding of the Eucharist. At that moment, if you would have asked me, what is the Eucharist? I would have said, eh, you know, it's a symbol of Christ's body and blood. I would have still called it a symbol because I didn't understand it. I was not well catechized at all. And when I came into an encounter and people were like, no, like that's Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I had an encounter and adoration. I mean, it was powerful. And that's actually where I heard my call was um, I had friends who, when I moved down to South Florida, there was a young adult group at the uh, cathedral in Palm Beach. And they brought me to pray my first rosary. Then they invited me to adoration, had no idea what adoration was, not a clue. So I walk into the chapel and everyone just sitting there quietly before our Lord in the Eucharist. I was like, well, I guess I should like pray or something. So I took that time to pray. And then next thing you know, they're, they're like, hey, like I'm going to daily mass on Monday. Do you want to come? Sure. You know, so now all of a sudden I have this group of friends surrounding me who are bringing me to adoration, bringing me to, uh, uh, to confession. My faith just was blossoming. Really a wonderful time in my life. One of the things I love about Father Adam's story is that he answered the call to priesthood during a moment in his life where he had fulfilled his dreams of becoming a chef. In 2010, he thought he had his life figured out, working at the Ritz-Carlton in South Florida, living on his own, being in a relationship for over a year, and then a series of events happened. And actually her aunt was the uh, youth minister at the cathedral. And she was like, oh, we'd love to have you volunteer and help out with the youth group. But because of my schedule working, I mean, restaurants are nights, weekends, holidays, all that sort of stuff. And anyone who knows anything about restaurants, they're not the holiest of places. So it was really funny. My boss would give some guys Sunday afternoons off to watch football. But I said, hey, in the Sunday evenings, can I help out with the youth group at my church? And he said, absolutely not. You have to work. I was like. So those guys can watch Sunday football, but I can't go to you know help out with youth group. But uh, that actually uh, was a moment where I realized I had a desire on my heart to serve the church in some way. And at that moment, I was told, sorry, but based on your job, you can't do this. So that's what drove me to adoration one day. And I said, all right, I have this desire. I want to serve the church. And I said, God, how can I serve the church? And, and, and a very uh, inviting question, the Lord just said, what about becoming a priest? And my initial reaction was absolutely not because again, like I, I thought I had my dream job. I had been dating this girl for about a year. Like, uh, you know, things were going great. Hardest thing is breaking up with someone when there's absolutely nothing wrong. Sorry. You know, God's calling me to be a priest, which at the time she thought I was using that as an excuse to date someone else. Uh, the whole, you know, use the seminary to break up with someone trick, I guess. Well, Tricked on me because now I'm a priest, so I guess I'm not dating anyone else. From that moment of that call, 
uh, I realized that I hadn't been, you mentioned, uh, I talked about confession and I realized I hadn't been to confession since I was in eighth grade when I was confirmed. And even then that was not a good confession. I showed up one day because my parents dropped me off for this confirmation day retreat. And all of a sudden they said, all right, and now we're going to confession. And they threw me in a room and I sat there and I went, I've lied. I, I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, it was, it, it was sprung on me. And um, so I made an appointment for a few minutes. I just rambled off all of these things that I had done. And again, restaurants are not the holiest of places to work. I had some stuff I'm not going to get into. It. I'm not going to give you my confession, but there was a lot of stuff on my heart. And at this point, I'm just like bawling my eyes out. And I went into confession with one thought was uh, the, I'm not going to tell this priest that I think God's calling me to be a priest because they would throw me out and tell me I could never be a priest based on all these terrible things I just confessed. But the priest stopped me and he said, all right, like, why not? Like, why after all these years have you decided to come back to confession? Well, the only thing I could tell him was, I think God's calling me to be a priest. And he jumped out of his chair, gave me a big hug and said, that's incredible news. I'm so excited. Meanwhile, I'm bawling my eyes out this entire time. Just an encounter with God's mercy. I was expecting judgment and condemnation, but instead I had an encounter with mercy and it was a game changer for me. And as a priest, my prayer at ordination was, Lord, make me a good confessor. Like I want to, I want others to experience what I experienced then and to have that encounter with mercy. So, How beautiful it is to see that through adoration and confession, two beautiful gifts of our Catholic faith, was how Father Adam heard his calling. I know that for me personally growing up, and many of you listening, confession can seem daunting and scary at times. But Father Adam encourages to view it differently and gives us some suggestions on how to confess our sins. First of all, a lot of people, I, I think one anxiety at least of confession is what if I do it wrong? To know that the person who has to do it right is actually the priest. The form of confession is on the priest. So the priest is gonna lead you through and guide you through what needs to happen. I'm gonna say probably about 50% of people I have to lead through the act of contrition because they don't know it, that's fine. Like, I'd rather you come in and say, hey, sorry, I don't know it, and I have to walk you through that rather than you just not come at all. A recommendation is find that priest confessor that you can go to on a regular basis, whether, uh, you know, depending on where you're at uh, and the availability monthly or so, that's what's going to help you the most. And take time to really prepare. It is an important thing to prepare your heart for the sacrament the graces that you receive and the sacrament of reconciliation are based on your contrition. And so if you come in and say, well, I did this, but everybody does that. And I did that, but that's because this other person did this. It's not going to be a very good confession because you're just justifying your sins. Rather, turning to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry for these things I've done and having that encounter with mercy. Uh, so don't justify your sins. Trust me, within my first month as a priest, all the commandments, all of them. So trust me, uh, you're not saying anything unique or strange. Um, the priest is probably just going to keep nodding his head. I did an Instagram story not too long ago talking about Blessed Carlo Acutis, and he has this great quote. He says that you're born an original, don't become a photocopy. And I was reflecting on that with the Sacrament of Reconciliation, because it's 
one of my favorite things to do as a priest is hear confessions. And it's twofold, though. I love doing it because to see what happens when people encounter God's forgiveness, it's absolutely incredible. At the same time, confession is extremely boring for a priest. You would think that they'd be hearing all these incredible stories and getting all like this juicy gossip or something like that. It's like, yeah, you did that too. Yeah. So have the last five people who walked in here, it's the same thing. Like sin is boring. There is nothing original about your sin. It is absolutely boring. It is monotonous. You're, trust me. There's nothing original that you're doing. There's probably a million other people who have said it. Say it. Be contrite about it. Receive God's mercy. You want to see originality? Look at the saints. They have incredible lives. Sin makes you boring. I love that phrase. Sin makes you boring. I wanted to pause Father Adam's story for just a little bit to tell you about Tabella. Tabella is a social app for Catholics. On Tabella, you can find your parish, your ministry groups, and listen to audio content just like this one. It's available in the App Store and Google Play Store. So please download it, share it with your friends, and give us feedback as we continue building the best social app for Catholics. Back to Father Adam's story, right before he enters the seminary. Having that conversation with her, uh, it was kind of sad. She was like, all right, well, this is all the list of things I want to do as a couple. And I was like, oh, man. Like, uh, So eventually got to the point, and actually, it was, I really believe that uh, Holy Spirit put on my heart. We had just gone to Mass, Sunday Mass together, and the entire Mass, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, like, if you're going to discern celibacy, the only way you can do that is as a single person. You can't do that while you're in a relationship. And it was after Mass that day, I was just like, I felt like the Lord gave me just enough grace to make it happen, because it was a very difficult thing. Again, because it, that was something, like when I quit my job, that affected me. It didn't affect anyone else. It affected my life. Uh, but to break up with her, it affected something else, someone else. Uh, my mom's reaction at the time, she didn't have grandkids. And I have one brother uh, who's older. But at the time, I was the only one that had been, you know, we'll say having dated and, you know, long, steady relationships. You know, my brother maybe like dates someone for a month here, a month there, but nothing long term at, at that moment. So she was expecting me to give her grandkids first. <laughs> And so she was just like, uh, she's very happy now because she has three grandkids. Uh, so she's very excited about that. But that was kind of a funny thing. Uh, my dad asked me, how much is this going to cost? He was worried about finances, which the diocese takes care of everything. So I was like, don't worry about it. You don't have to pay anything. Probably one of the funniest reactions, though, was my one of my aunts. My mom's side of the family, especially, is a very emotional family. I get so at my ordination. Most of the time, I'm like just ugly crying, just tears going down my face. It's terrible. It's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, Bishop was actually concerned for me during ordination because of how much I was crying. But uh, so when I called uh, my Aunt Mary, she picks up the phone. My uncle, Jimmy, is there as well. But he has no idea who called. And so I say, hey, Mary, um, how are you doing? Oh, good. And I said, uh, so I just want to let you know. I, I think God's calling me to be a priest. And I'm going to enter the seminary. Well, she just goes, <laughs> and all she can say is, Adam, Adam, Adam. Well, my uncle thinks I'm dead. 
My uncle thinks I got into like a car accident or something like that and wrapped my car around a tree. So he snags the phone. He's like, hello, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm like, Uncle Jimmy, I'm alive. Um, this is what's going on. Uh, so that <laughs> she just couldn't get any words. She just like overcome with emotion and just couldn't get any other words out. Father Adam enters the seminary. When you were in seminary, he tells us that you grow together as brothers. He had the chance to grow with many of them, some who actually discovered that their vocation was actually marriage. For him in particular, his discernment led to the priesthood. When he talks about vocations, he says that discernment is a means to an end, and the end is a decision. Entering seminary, I will say, when I got there, all I could think was, what did I just do? It just it's it was a complete life shift for me. I went from living in my own place, having my own job and kind of setting my own schedule, if you will, in terms of, all right, well, if, if I wasn't at work, that meant I could go wherever I wanted, do whatever I wanted. I got to seminary and I went from having my own place to sharing a room and having a communal bathroom down the hall, you know, having a curfew. I was like, I used to work later than what my curfew is now. And, I, I just couldn't wrap my mind around that. I'm like, I'm an adult. Like, what are you doing to me? But it really was a lesson in obedience and it helps you to grow uh, and it helps you to actually stay in the formation process and not just try to escape when things get hard. If it was just free, you know, easy come, easy go, you know, come for classes and then leave and do whatever you want to, you would actually be uh, avoiding a lot of the formation process. And uh, you, like I said, you definitely grow together as brothers and you're able to, with your spiritual director, take the time and pray about, is this what God is calling me to? It really is just a beautiful time for even those who I know who left seminary said it was a time for them to grow in their own faith and come to a greater identity uh, in that and what it means for them. Another thing I love about Father Adam's story is that he was also called to be a chaplain for the military. Unlike a priest in a civilian parish who moves periodically, Chaplains in the army and other branches of the military work with a constantly changing group of people in a variety of settings. According to the Archdiocese for the Military, it is a personal ministry of presence, caring for the needs of Catholic military personnel and their families. They go wherever their people are, in a tent in the desert, on the deck of an aircraft carrier, in the barracks on base, in a combat zone, in the halls of the Pentagon, wherever they are needed. Large percentages of Catholics make up the military, and there are so few priests. So summer of 2019 is when I did my, uh, it's called a Chaplain Basic Officer Leadership Course. So Chibullock for short, and Army speak. And I was with a number of amazing Protestant chaplains. There was 105 in my chaplain class, and eight of us were Catholic. And I will say the Protestants were fascinated with us Catholics absolutely fascinated because um, some of the Protestant chaplains won't even go to Sunday services. I'm like, you're a, you're a Christian chaplain, yet you don't go to Sunday services, but you would expect your soldiers to go to Sunday services. Meanwhile, uh, from the Archdiocese for the military, military priests must celebrate mass every single day. We would, you know, pull out our breveries and start praying the Psalms five times a day. So there were times where the only time we could get mass in, we knew that we were going to have to take everything with us out to the field and what we were doing. So 
all of a sudden in the middle of the day where everyone else was getting rest, the Catholics go off and celebrate mass. And they just were absolutely fascinated by that, uh, that level of devotion and also just that, that concept of uh, the celibate state and that dedication there as well and full committing, fully committing to uh, the mission of the church. Father Adam's ordination was in the summer of 2020, a roller coaster of a year. In January of that year, he began sending out invitations not knowing that within a few months the country would be in a lockdown and addressing the pandemic. His ordination, thankfully, was still able to take place. Whether the parish would have been filled with many, many more people, that didn't matter. That day at ordination, there might as well have been a million people behind me. Um, the graces that I felt in that moment, I felt the whole church. I felt the whole church triumphant, the whole church militant praying with me at that moment. And it could have been a full cathedral. There could have been one person in that cathedral. It didn't matter. The graces of the sacrament are real. And it was such a powerful moment. Uh, so my former pastor from my home parish at Annunciation in Altamont Springs is now uh, Bishop Stephen Parks of the Diocese of Savannah. And uh, so he vested me as a priest. And I remember um, the moment that really set me off. Like I, There were a few tears coming into ordination, but he vested me. And I mean, he really uh, took his time and made it a special moment. And when the chasuble dropped over me and I looked to him and I'm 5'8", he's 6'5". So he's a much taller man than I am, which made it easy for him to vest me and put the chasuble on me. But I looked up at him and he had tears in his eyes. And I told him, I said, when I looked up at you at that moment, I saw the love of the father. And it was just the love of the father looking down on me and I lost it. I absolutely lost it. And just the record and now uh, being vested as a priest seeing myself in that light. I mean, when we had done at the seminary practice masses and things like that, I put on a chasuble. It didn't feel real. I mean, at that moment, it was just, it hit me hard. And I just realized what happened and the grace there. And uh, it was, it was just such an incredible moment. I wish I could even put into words, but I think that some of the most beautiful graces in our lives are the most difficult to actually formulate into words. Lastly, but definitely not least, Father Adam Marchese leaves us with a message to ponder. Yeah, so something that's really been on my heart uh, in my prayer the last uh, month or so um, is just kind of seeing on a spiritual level uh, how uh, the enemy has been definitely uh, attacking us as people. And the uh, specifically on a level of epistemology and Asking the question, what is truth? How do I know what truth is anymore? Because there's so many messages through all forms of media, through social media, through news outlets, and it, they're all saying different things. And it's like, how do I actually know what truth is anymore? And if you think about it, it's a brilliant attack from the enemy because if we start doubting truth, well, who is truth? Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. Truth is not just a concept, and we can get lost in these particular truths, which, okay, they might be important, but not to the detriment of the person of Christ. And when we're able to stay rooted in Jesus Christ, when we're able to stay rooted in that truth above all things, 
then all of a sudden these little particular truths that come out and try and discern what is real and what's not real, when we're able to stay rooted at the cross, it doesn't knock us around. The wind doesn't just take us in one direction or the other anymore. I love uh, the motto of the Carthusians. The world turns as the cross stands firm. And just that idea that let the world turn. Stay rooted at the cross. Stay there. Then when you see these other things, uh, you know, whether it be in the political or social realm, you know where you lie. You know whose you are. You know the source of all truth, which is the most important thing. Um, and not to get lost and wrapped up in these other things. Not to say that we shouldn't address them. Not to say that we ignore uh, these other realms of the social world. But where are we addressing it from? Are we addressing it from a side of politics or uh, social issues? Or are we addressing it from the source of Jesus Christ and kind of looking down from that element, which also gives us the ability to have commonality, to be able to address these things as people rooted in Christ and rooted in faith, not on opposite sides of the political spectrum. That where it gets us nowhere. So I just really had something I'd in my heart and prayer recently. That is the life of Father Adam Marchese. Please pray for him, his parish, and his mission. Lastly, I'd like to leave you with a gift. Download the Tabella Catholic app and get access to tons of free Catholic content just like this one. Best of all, you can stay connected to your local parishes, find their mass times and confession hours, all in the palm of your hand. On Tabella, you can also pray the rosary, Listen to the daily gospel readings and much, much more. All absolutely free. Head on over to jointabella.com or simply look for Tabella Catholic app on your phone's app store. This was the life of a priest. I'm your host, Juan Acosta. Have a blessed day.